healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Omar Dawood from Calm. Omar, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Michael. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing awesome. Awesome. So here's the game plan. Uh, What we seek to do on this show is educate our audience on non-traditional ways to either help employers lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Of course. Super important topic and one that we're very passionate about here. All right, cool. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you so that our audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to, and then we'll jump into it. Great. Okay. So Omar is a clinician and stage four cancer survivor with over 25 years of senior management, medical research, and clinical experience, innovating medical devices and digital health products as a senior executive. He is currently the chief medical officer and head of sales for Calm, leading business-to-business employer and health plan sales. Omar is passionate about helping people around the globe lead healthier, happier lives by building resilience through better sleep and improved mindfulness. Over the past two decades, Omar has held senior executive and senior advisory positions with a spectrum of healthcare companies, including Ginger, Accuray, Kona Medical, LiveCore, and Samsung, leading transformative change and disruptive innovation across a number of healthcare segments. Omar holds a BA in chemistry from the University of Pennsylvania, an MPH with concentration in cancer epidemiology from Yale University, an MBA from Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, and an MD from Georgetown University School of Medicine. All right, Omar, that was a lot. Anything else I missed there? <laughs> I think you covered it all. I have a white fluffy dog as well. That's probably part of my, part of my CV. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's kind of start with that resume. I mean, you, you have you know, a decade of education and, and 20 years of entrepreneurial activity. And most recently, you were the president of Ginger, which is a company I think is doing great work in the mental health space. So what prompted you to join Calm in this new leadership role? So. I've had a fire that's been lit in me and continues to burn quite brightly since I was a teenager, since I was diagnosed with stage four cancer and went through that interesting, I'll say interesting experience uh, that really changed my view and lens on medicine. Uh, I saw a medical environment as a teenager that had little innovation, had little collaboration across departments, and frankly, wasn't really leveraging data. As a you know, bright-eyed 15, 16-year-old, uh, I thought, let's change this. I didn't really know how. And took somewhat of a meandering path over the next decade or so to try to learn as much as I can about healthcare, about research, about regulation. Uh, and, you know, was very lucky to, you know, just have a number of really interesting experiences that, you know, really shaped who I am and allowed me to have a number of tools at my disposal to now really truly impact, uh, impact the field. I truly didn't appreciate the value and I'm not ashamed to say this, uh, the value and importance of mental and behavioral health until probably about 10 years ago. Uh, My whole career has been focused on physical health. And as many of us, we put that front and center. Think about diet, we think about nutrition, we think about exercise and the impact it can have 
on preventing downstream cardiac disease and hypertension and diabetes and obesity and, and those things that, that are front, front of mind for us. But reality is behavioral health without it, without having a solid emotional foundation and ability to deal with stress and anxiety, everything else kind of is a full stop and we don't even get moving on physical health and we're right. definitely can't be our best selves. So I came to that uh, realization after uh, stepping into the behavioral health world through Ginger and some other efforts that I was involved in and work with some amazing people at the forefront of what was digital behavioral health at the time. You know, as I moved through that, what I saw post my uh, kind of initial experience in digital health was there is a real need to be able to bring an experience that is truly engaging, one that people love to behavioral health. And, and that's really how I came about Calm, you know, interfaced with some amazing team members uh, as the team was quite a bit smaller about a year and a half ago now. What impressed me tremendously was not only the amazing people to, that I could work alongside and, and collaborate with who are truly humble and amazing at what they do, but to take a uh, experience that now over 100 million people have downloaded around the world in 190 countries and in seven languages that they love to use, that they actually pay for. I mean, people pay for healthcare, like that's unreal. And then to be able to take that and bring that to the employer world and impact the employees in their daily by helping to build resilience, I mean, it's like a dream come true, right? It's it's what you, what you aspire to do in terms of truly innovating and revolutionizing um, a segment of healthcare. And, and frankly, we're seeking to do that at behavioral health. So let's start at a, a macro level. And we'll kind of get down into the, the calm product and service. But we're, we're about a year into this pandemic. And, and while I think we can all see a light at the end of the tunnel with the arrival of vaccines, COVID-19 has really served as, as a spotlight on the mental health epidemic that we have here in the U.S. Statistics tell us that one in five Americans suffer from a mental health condition, uh, but only 43% actually receive any sort of, of treatment or therapy. And COVID-19 has only exacerbated the situation. There's double-digit increases in documented incidences of stress, anxiety, and, and depression. So I'd like to kind of start our conversation by asking you to describe or define mental illness or mental health and what you see are the key issues with access to care as it pertains to mental and behavioral health. Yeah, great question. And I love that one in five statistics of people who are affected by uh, what we term as mental health. It's, it's super interesting. You know, the entire field for the past many decades has optimized for the one in five. That's 20% of the population that likely has some type of diagnosed, what we say labeled medical uh, mental health condition. What's, what's interesting is why don't we optimize for the other 80%? And I ask that because I encourage your viewers like to think long and hard about this is, who doesn't experience stress and anxiety? Literally, who doesn't, right? I, I always say, like, I can't be sure about anything in the future and I can't predict the future, but I can know for certainty that around the corner, all of us are going to experience stress and anxiety from our personal professional lives. Why don't we optimize for that? Why don't we optimize for how we should be able to deal with that and cope with that so that we can actually reduce the percentage of people that actually flow downstream to, you know, having more full-blown conditions? And two is, Shouldn't we take care of ourselves anyway if we're feeling it? I mean, why ignore it? Why do we have to have a label on our on our head that says I have depression, I have anxiety, I have a stress disorder to be able to do something about it? We don't wait for somebody to have a heart attack before we actually treat them. We'll treat their high high cholesterol or 
their slight weight gain, it should be exactly the same. Or we even we even support them in a preventive fashion. Why not think of prevention like a radical idea for mental behavioral health? So th- that I, I start with that because that, that's kind of my lens right now for approaching mental behavioral health. The pandemic is an interesting thing because it should simply shed light on it. Like yeah. shock, none of us are immune to it. And when our support system, we look to the right and left of the people we lean on are truly going through it as well, then you have to have coping mechanisms to deal with it, right? All of us are at home. My dog might run through the, the this, this scene in the next two seconds and I need to not be frazzled or someone's kid might run through. Like you just never know, right? It's a different environment. The pandemic's helped us open that dialogue. Like, oh, we all experience it. And therefore, it's probably okay to do something about it. And that's one quote unquote benefit, right? Of of, of sometimes having a rather shocking experience like that, right? Yeah. Um, where it's now front and center. But you don't need a pandemic to be able to actually put front and center that we need to deal with behavioral health and, and deal with that in a way that every single person feels like they have an unstigmatized, easy lift way to support themselves not because you have an illness, not because something's wrong with you, because they're human beings. And we're wired to deal with a little bit of stress and anxiety, but not very much and not in a sustained fashion. Let's learn how to cope with it. That's great perspective. And I think one of the things that, you know, I think we talk about mental illness, right? And we, we view it as, well, that just impacts just a few people and it's not me, right? But But to your point, I mean, the conversation is more about mental health, right? And just, Correct. Co- and, and just coping. If there's a silver lining in this, all, in this whole situation is that to your point that it, it's brought to light that mental health is important and it's something that we, we should be thinking about. Exactly. Uh, so I, I have a strong opinion on this next question, but I, I want to hear your opinion. If you think about what employers are offering to employees today, it's a medical health plan right? It's, it's, it's dental division. It's an employee assistance program. And if you think about a traditional health plan network and an EAP, do you think that those two products offer sufficient resources to support employee mental health and well-being? Why or why not? I, I would say that the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Uh, it goes back to something we talked about, which is what are you optimizing for? EAP systems were put in place, what is it now, 50? years ago, 45 years ago, the first ones, more than that in the 50s, 60s, really to be able to, quote unquote, bring parity to physical health, right? To be able to support people and give them some level of of support for stress and anxiety. If we think about a company, any company, most employees are pretty high function. Most employees are not dealing with advanced labeled conditions and stress and anxiety conditions, but they experience stress and anxiety. We know that. There are studies that show that, you know, upwards of 40 plus percent of employees in most companies at some point experience stress and anxious symptoms. During the pandemic, I've seen stats as high as 70, 80, 90 percent. And depending on your field that you're in and your role, it can be even higher, especially if you're in a new role, especially if you get promoted into a role you don't know how to do, like you name it. And then you throw in balancing personal life with that as well. So I like to talk about the clinical spectrum of care and, and I map employees to it. All of us are on a clinical spectrum. We think yes. about it from one end upstream, you're feeling great. You have quote unquote, no symptoms that you know of on a kind of measurement tool we used for depression called PHQ-9. Let's say your symptoms come out to a, a total score of zero, which is means you're not really having any symptoms versus the all the way at the downstream end where you have such 
a debilitating disease when it comes to depression, anxiety, stress, you maybe ever have to be in the hospital, have really advanced resource utilization. Your PHQ-9 is, in, is at 27. We're all in that range at some level. EAP and even some of the newer digital health options sit very well downstream. You have to admit, oh, I got a problem. You have to actually go through a tremendous amount of activation energy to find your EAP. First of all, most of them are buried. Where's the number? Now I'm on hold. Now, great. They hear I have symptoms, but I have to wait for six weeks for an appointment. It's a challenging environment. Digital health came a huge long way to saying, you know what? We can make it easier. We can make it more accessible. We can reduce some of the barriers. We can reduce some of the stigma, but still sitting downstream. What's been missing is something all the way upstream. Something right. that's in the preventative, preventative bucket that instead of servicing zero to three percent of people, which is where t- EAP typically services because of all those barriers, something that can service a broad group of people and have more people touch and access the behavioral health system, which is what we want. We want more people to interact with it. You know, our average sign-up rate at COM is over thirty percent across our eight hundred and fifty or so employer accounts, and average engagement within accounts is over eighty percent. Those numbers are off the charts when you think about typical sign up and utilization rates. And the reason is we have something that sits upstream, something that frankly people don't recognize as behavioral health at all. Right. And you know, you know, when I was in med school, we we would we would we were taught and, and everyone was taught like you must shake people and, and you must admit you are using a behavioral health experience or tool. The reality is you don't have to let people use it. Maybe they don't recognize that that's what it is, but they feel better. Clinically, the evidence that we've generated shows that people actually get better as well. And you're touching such a huge, broad group of people. You're providing them a means of building resilience, of, of actually, quote unquote, engaging in prevention for behavioral health. And then those that need downstream resources, the EAP and the other digital health resources, they'll flow to them and they, they'll use those more efficiently. And now you're servicing a broader group of employees. It's so interesting. To to hear, you know, we talk about the statistics, right? Something like like calm, right, is really more about addressing the other 80% of your population. And you talk about wellness programs, right? Horribly ineffective, most of them. And most of them, their their reach is is so small. You know, I think something like this has a, a much greater ability to sort of impact well-being. But let's let's get into, I think, some of the functionality of, of calm. So you know, one, this is one of the few companies to take a successful direct-to-consumer product and now, you know, bring it to the employer marketplace. So let's start very broad and we'll get into the details here. But, you know, at a basic level, you know, what is the Calm product and service and, and, and what are you guys attempting to solve with it? So we, we view ourselves as an experience. And I use that, you'll hear me use that word versus product because Oftentimes, especially in the mental and behavioral health and digital health world, there are a lot of products out there. And you typically will gravitate to a product, use it for a focused purpose, pretty vigorously, then put it down and go to the next product. They don't typically have a lot of longevity. And experience is something that becomes part of your life. It becomes something part of your daily fabric and truly impacts your life. And we view ourselves as this broad experience for resilience where we're helping people develop resilience by sleeping better, develop mindfulness, and step into meditation. Three very broad, uh, broad pillars. You know, seven and a half billion people on this planet sleep or try to sleep every single night. And frankly, that's the number one reason people come in the calm is they come in to sleep better. 
Even the person that slept 10 hours last night, if you ask them, do you want to sleep better? They're like, yes, I want to sleep better. Everybody wants to sleep better. And that happens to be the foundation for resilience. If you enter your day with a good night after a good night of sleep, your amygdala in your brain is more efficient. You're able to pass information to your prefrontal cortex in a more efficient, more sustainable way. And you frankly can make better decisions. You therefore can actually deal and recognize stress and anxiety and start to build coping mechanisms around it. So that's how we view ourselves. What's interesting about calm is there is no other experience in wellness and definitely not mental behavioral health and digital health that truly has been successful the way we have been on the direct to consumer side. And so, you know, we built a, a, a rather really interesting business around that and turned to augment not pivot, but augment uh, that business and the offering with a offering for employers and health plans and other organizations, because we want to funnel behind our mission. Our mission is to help people live happier, healthier lives. And it's, it's interesting and amazing. We've done that for over a hundred million people, Well, let's do that for a billion people. And working with employers and organizations is the way to do that. It's very different than turning to um, a B2B world and employer world because your consumer business is struggling and you're turning to it for distribution, which is what everyone else in the space has done. Your tenants that you're optimizing for are very different. And so, you know, what we therefore see in the employer world is an experience that people recognize. They know the brand. It's top of mind. They wanted to get it anyway. And they, at some point, probably had it on their phone and have tried it. And so top of line awareness is huge in terms of building a foundation for engagement. Agreed. Agreed. You mentioned sort of the the pillars there, meditation and sleep. And it's so interesting. You said sleep is one of the key reasons people come into the platform. I myself am a pretty good sleeper. My wife is a terrible sleeper. (laughs) And so, you know, I see it firsthand day to day. I mean, not getting sleep impacts somebody's mood, their, their energy level, their ability to function. And I can see why, why people would, would enter, you know, because of sleep, but let's, let's talk about meditation. First, so this is a, a key component to calm, and meditation long been associated with being a spiritual practice of sorts, and maybe even a little hippy dippy. Not exactly mainstream. So, can we spend some time on on what the scientific research says about what happens to the brain and the body when a person meditates regularly? What what are the potential benefits? Meditation doesn't have to be uh, something that's woo. And I think we've definitely demonstrated that by re-envisioning and providing meditation in different mediums around a variety of narrators, uh, creating a diverse experience that people feel comfortable with, that's diverse narrators, diverse content, people of different ages, sexes, religions, you suddenly have an experience people want to engage in. The other thing is, is actually um, building a practice around it is super important. So you don't have to jump in and spend a week in a silent meditation to actually get a value. We do this thing called the daily calm where on the homepage of your app or your, or your web-based experience for calm, you have every day, 10 minutes of content that you can listen to that is meditation based content that is always based around a certain theme, a certain story, and uh, has a number of pearls that you take away. Why is that important? Because like training for a marathon, You don't run 26.2 miles in a day. You incrementally build up for it. You treat your mind like a muscle and continue to work it in a very methodical way. And it helps you actually 
take this experience of meditation to make it part of your life rather than something that you, you know, is a nice to have or that you may may think about doing, but not necessarily doing. The other thing about it is that, you know, when you meditate and, and there's a ton of research behind this, you actually are developing a level of mindfulness that is allowing you to better understand both yourself and the people around you. This is super critical because you start to really think more, I would say, and be more thoughtful about your interactions. If you're seeing a person in front of you having a certain reaction, whether it be on video, whether it be in person, a colleague, a spouse, you're going to be able to be more likely to take a pause, to actually maybe even listen before opening your mouth to actually react, which is a shock, uh, but, but true. And be able to have that level of discipline that is going to actually allow you to better understand the situation and be able to actually communicate better with people. Much of the stress and anxiety we have is because we have poor communication, because we don't listen, because we rush everything. Meditation of mindfulness embodies the practice sometimes of doing nothing. And, you know, I encourage everyone to take a minute out of your day and literally just close your eyes and think about your day. I do that before every day. I do that, did that before this podcast as I like to collect my thoughts. It is amazing how transformative that is. There are numerous studies that show that when you develop that level of serenity from meditation and mindfulness, you impact your immune system. You uh, impact the ability for you to not only fight infection, but to actually then be able to support yourself through almost any challenging time. Because you're able to, to look at a situation, flip it around a number of ways, where a situation may be completely something that seems out of control or something that's daunting, mindfulness and meditation help you actually step back and unpack that situation and tackle it in bite-sized pieces. So there's just so much applicability across, across our lives with it. I've been experimenting and practicing with meditation for, for years. I originally started with, with Headspace. You know, I converted over to Calm. I don't know, sometime in the last six months. I can't tell you specifically how it benefits me, but I can tell you I do it every morning when I get up. It's the first thing that I do. And the reason that I keep doing it is because at some level, it makes me feel good. And I, and I don't really know how to explain that. I don't know how to quantify that, but it is part of, of my daily practice. And you know, so I, I don't, I don't know as a, as a user, how to quantify or, or qualify how I'm benefiting, but I know that I'll keep doing it. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have to quantify it. Right. I mean, it, it goes back to, you don't have to label things. You don't have to always necessarily over dissect it. If it makes you feel great, engage in it. And that's what we find a lot of people do with comp. You know, one of the, the the questions I had, and I think you already answered it, was you know how do you make something like meditation less scary or intimidating for people who haven't tried it before? But you touched on that, and I think it's really you know unique in having the different narrators that you have. I listened to uh, Tamara Levitt in the morning, and also having it around certain topics. So do you do you want to just comment on what are some of the the topics that maybe get addressed from the narrators? You know, during a meditation. Yeah. I mean, things, you know, as common as gratitude, we don't think sometimes we, we think often about giving people expressing gratitude to others, but we don't oftentimes think about the importance of patting ourselves on the back, thinking about applying mindfulness and meditation to eating and nutrition, for example, 
it's interesting how we'll go on diets and then we'll beat ourselves up when we cheat with a cookie or something. But, you know, there, there is a huge mindfulness component to that. Let's put all that in perspective. Let's congratulate ourselves for having a diet that we're sticking to that doesn't have to be 100%, right? Because otherwise, it becomes completely demotivating for us, and then we don't engage in it at all. And so how do we get our, our minds wrapped around that? How do we get ourselves to say that's okay? When it comes to uh, relationships, that's a huge area where mindfulness and meditation play in. It's reflecting and listening to the person in front of you. It's being able to, again, being able to pause and not necessarily jump without actually understanding the situation. Mindfulness and meditation, a lot of us are already engaged in it. We don't even know. As I said, much of my life has been around physical health. And one of the people that I, as I was heavily into weightlifting and all these things over the years, uh, you know, my 20s and 30s, I used to gravitate to watch a lot of old videos of Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and some of the, the people from back in the day. And what's interesting is you see them talk about things like, imagine your bicep and what it's going to do before you do it. Michael Jordan talking about the same thing before he takes a shot, right? Like, can you envision yourself taking it first? We all recognize that's mindfulness, right? That like, maybe we didn't, but that's exactly what that is. It's actually being able to create that positive framework for yourself. It's being able to envision yourself doing something before you're doing it. It's been all around us. It is all around us. Just many of us haven't necessarily recognized that. And calm is a framework to further develop it. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting now that you're, we're talking about this, maybe one of the things I appreciate the most about it is having a third party offer a different perspective or a frame to think about something, right? Exactly. And, and maybe it's just something I hadn't considered, but, I, but I, I think that is one of the things I appreciate and why I keep coming back is intellectual curiosity and having somebody say, here's another way to think about that. And, and hearing it from people that you wouldn't, you wouldn't think need it. So LeBron James, for example, is in our, is in our, uh, in our experience. And he talks about the numerous challenges he faced over the years uh, as a professional athlete, as someone who is seen as almost a, a mentor and a, you know, luminary figure to, to many and role model, many people wouldn't recognize that he would experience stress and anxiety and that he actually does something about it, that he actually values sleep. And so when you start seeing that, the other aspect of it here is it helps normalize. It. It's like, oh, wait, this person is affected by it and they do something about it. I guess it's okay for me to step up and do something about it as well. There's nothing wrong with me for that, right? So that's the other component that comes in really critical is being able to bring in others and voices that help you normalize those. Let's talk about sleep. So sleep is a focus of calm. And you did touch on this earlier, but you know why was that originally a focus? And talk about what's included to help people sleep better. So end of 2016 or so, beginning of 2017, what we noticed was that a lot of people were using Calm at night. And we were a purely meditation app at the time and a very focused kind of niche experience, uh, bringing a ton of value to people uh, around the world. And so what we decided at that point is, well, people are trying to sleep with this thing. It's not really designed for it. How can we actually create an aspect of calm that helps directly cater to that? And with that came the broadening of the experience from a meditation-only experience to one that's based on mindfulness 
and sleep and a broader experience of resilience. And we developed this thing called a sleep story, which is essentially mimic something that we many of us have experienced as children, which is, you know, we'd be eight years old and somebody will read us a, a bedtime story. We wake up the next morning and we're our best eight-year-old selves ready to play. We don't really know why. We don't think about it. But if you read someone a story in the right cadence, in the right tone, and they identify with that narrator and content, they will actually take the millions of things racing through their heads. We all have that when we go to bed and replace it with something that's much more soothing. And therefore, um, fall asleep faster, enter REM more predictably, and frankly, get a better night's sleep. It's a real phenomenon. And so we created this thing called the sleep story. And whether you have Matthew McConaughey or you have Eva Green or you have Harry Styles reading you a story to bed, you know, choose whoever you would like. It really has a great effect. And most people don't ever hear the end of the story. When we did that, we started to inflect tremendously. Our appeal broadened, and we won Apple's app of the year in that following year in 2017, beating out every consumer app. And we're the only kind of group in our space to have done that. It was a real testimony to the value of having an experience that resonated with the more broad general population. And so that's really what was behind sleep. We've since developed a ton of clinical evidence around it. You know, we have a, a science team that works out of the Arizona State University led by Jen Huberty that I work with regularly. And we continue to develop not just a lot of evidence, it's not about the quantity, but we develop the right evidence to be able to support the clinical outcomes of this. Mm -hmm. We, for example, did a, a cross-sectional uh, study uh, on over 10,000 people and showed that you know, we're able to reduce insomnia symptoms, 92% of people, anxiety and depression symptoms in 80 to 90% of people, wow. um, and actually help people feel better, both quantitatively and qualitatively. You know, we have numerous pieces of evidence around that. It's humbling when you think about it, that you could impact people's lives to that degree. It's amazing. You know, I, I was primarily using it myself for for meditation, but I did, you know, notice that there's sleep stories there. And, and we routinely every night, you know, read, read stories to my kids. I, th I thought about testing out, you know, some of the sleep stories for kids. And, you know, I've, I've done it a couple of times with my five-year-old. The first time I think I fell asleep before she did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> um, where she had to kind of bump me and say, daddy, don't, don't go to sleep yet. <laughs> um, but I mean, even last night we did it. And I mean, it's, it's amazing how, how comforting that, that is. And uh, it was, it was fun to, to watch my, my child, you know, listen to it and be focused on it and, and gradually go to sleep. So I guess that's another question. You know, there's this whole segment for kids. How, how did, how did you guys decide to focus on kids? What better way to develop a sense of routine and value for something as important as taking care of your mind and your everyday than when we're young, right? We teach kids good nutrition and the value of exercise when they're young for a reason. Because we know if you develop those habits, they're going to perpetuate and have a longevity throughout the rest of your life. They're also going to set you up for having a great foundation uh, to be able to deal with anything coming your way. Uh, and the same thing with mental and behavioral health. I think it's amazing. And it's something that, you know, everyone at all ages should be engaging in. Um, and so, you know, for us, uh, we develop content that resonates across the household. You mentioned something a few minutes ago that's interesting, as you said, I sleep well, but my wife doesn't. You, by de facto, don't sleep well, probably then. 
because there's it's very challenging to actually sleep well if the person next to you uh, or someone in your household isn't sleeping well. Um, the same thing with dealing with stress and anxiety. It's taking care of both you and your household. It's everyone. And so the other thing is, just like with diet, how hard is it for one person in the household to diet, no one else to diet? That's true. It's much easier if you're all doing it together. It's much easier if there's a commonality among you all. And so that, that's also why we have content that we've designed that, that can resonate and does resonate across a variety of age groups. Yeah. Well, I think that certainly broadens the, the appeal. Music, another component and, and one that I, I personally enjoy and that I use you know, while I work. Tell me a little bit more about how music came into the platform and how that plays into a person's well-being. Yeah, I mean, music is a central part of so many people's lives. When you look at Calm, much of the audio uh, that's played is set across different landscapes that you can choose and customize. Humans have this interesting connection to nature uh, and to landscapes. So you sit on a beach, we sit on the top of a mountaintop or look out the window at the rain falling, and we get this really interesting human connection or reaction. When you set that across music that's been tuned and toned in certain ways from artists that we know, you amplify that. You can create a sense of doing nothing and yet doing everything at once by your mind actually relaxing and absorbing the senses um, that are being stimulated around it. That's what music does. And so we seek to recreate that. Um, and I think I've done a really great job of that. It's one of the one of the best aspects of calm um, and, and highly used, whether it be that Back in the day when we would commute, that you're on public transportation, listening in your car in traffic, in the office, working on various things, and you have calm playing in the background. It also gives flexibility. People then therefore use calm in different ways. Music's not for everyone, just like mm -hmm. meditation is not. And, and even the sleep component's not 100% for everyone. But it's there for those that want to use it. And we find that it's used quite, quite vigorously. I use it when I walk the dogs and while I work. I like there it. There you go. All right. There, there are a lot of other components, probably too many to, to comment on. There's a gratitude journal, a mood tracker. There's calm body and, and masterclass. Any of those components that you want to briefly mention or touch on? Yeah. I mean, the mood tracker is interesting because you get to really kind of check in with yourself and be able to follow your mood and progress. And it ought to suggest content for you. Um, based on your mood and based on your trends. And I think that that's very, very interesting in a very light way, using a number of smiley face type of kind of interfaces and things, which I think people really enjoy. You know, we, we talk about calm body a lot, the interface of mental and physical, that's becoming more and more important as, as we pull the two together. The one additional piece I'd love to highlight is the fact that we don't all dream or think or go through our days in English. And there are, you know, a real need to have this in your own language oftentimes. And so, although we're in 190 countries, um, we're in seven languages. And we purposely pick and continue to develop calm in, in, in new languages uh, and, and pick the languages we go into. We don't translate. And I think that that's important. We localize. Localization is a much higher bar. It's actually testing content, testing narrators, handpicking them to resonate within that um, language, that culture. That creates a really, really robust platform for people to be able to engage regardless of what language they're thinking, dreaming, and spending their day in. And, and I, I think that's important. That's synonymous with how we think about developing the experience and iterating it. It's always listening, watching, seeing what the market and people want, 
And then being thoughtful about how we develop that, not just checking the box. For most employers transitioning to you know the the employer rationale for maybe implementing something like this, right? Whenever they're looking at new programs to implement, bring to their employees, I'm going to want to know a couple of things. You know, one, you know what the what the cost is, and I understand you guys do a, a you know per employee per month, but then they're going to want to know, okay, how many people are utilizing it, and what impact you know is it having? So, a, a few questions here. You know, how are you? working with employers to engage their employees and, and drive awareness and, and utilization? We provide a value to the employees and a value to the organization. And that's important because it's a lot of people think of benefits of what goes in the employee's hands, but the organization should also be able to get a great value of it. And that value that we provide to the organization is insights. We provide aggregated data reporting that protects anonymity and privacy of every person using calm. So there's never a disclosure of how you're using it, when you're using it, who's using it. But we provide aggregate trends that allow an employer to understand trends in anxiety and stress, trends in how different content and different aspects are used so they can wrap themselves around that. When are people going to bed? Is the whole law firm up on a Thursday night because billables are due? Should you stagger those? Like just all these really interesting halo effects that you can start to garner from a benefit. Now, it's great to have insights. But if 1% of your population is using it, I'm not sure what you're going to act upon. Right. When you have over 30% on average using Calm and you have um, you know, over 80% engagement rates, you can start to actually have actionable insights now. right? And that's super exciting. So to me, that's front and center. The value for employees at the end of the day um, is measured a lot of different ways. Uh, and every employee thinks of it differently. When you have almost no one or very small percentages of the population touching beer for health. Frankly, the one of the number one reasons that people actually invest in calm is because you suddenly have increased access 10, 20 fold to behavioral health. Uh, and, and, and you now have people touching the system that weren't before. Mm-hmm. You also get this interesting calm effect, which is, you know, I like to use an analogy of, let's say we all live in a three-story 20 room house. And there's a room on the third store, third floor that we never go to that's in the dark in the back. That essentially is the benefits portal at a health plan, at employers, and employer that they, and, and most employers is employees don't typically go there unless they really have to. They really don't go there. But we want them to go there because we want to put stuff in front of them. We want to put important educational things and we want to put important tools and things that are going to help them live better and 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 enjoy their days better. But how do we get them there? Well, I mean, think of that portal, like that room in that house no one goes to. And I know you like chocolate. I put a bag, a basket in that room with a bar of chocolate. I say, you know what? Will you go up to this room just, just for a minute, Michael? I'll say, okay, I'll go up once because you asked me to. Just like when we ask employees to go check it in their portal. And you go in there, you find the bar of chocolate, you come down, you're elated, you share it with your with your with your family. You got value from that room. Just like people may get huge value from calm being given out by the benefits portal. You know what you're going to do the next day unprompted? You're going to go back to that room and check out what else is of value. That's huge. So when you have something as engaging and as valuable and that makes people feel better and you've given it to them, they're going to go back and see what else you have. And so really, you can create a situation where calm can help lift lift the tides of everything else that you have as well. How about measuring employee satisfaction? Do you guys use NPS scores? I mean, what are you using to track satisfaction? We do. Our NPS is just over 70. I think the last I checked was around 72. 
Um, we also do a ton of qualitative rating. We have over a million and a half five-star app reviews, uh, which is off the charts. We measure satisfaction a number of different ways. Um, and, you know, again, humbled by those outcomes and those, those results. I mean, uh, kind of off the charts when you think about um, not just the benefit, but behavioral health, especially. We've talked about a lot. I mean, you know, employers obviously have a lot of different, you know, uh, priorities and things that they're focused on. Who do you think this is a good fit for and, and who's not a good fit for? It's a great question. I mean, we always look at that kind of, um, you know, ICP, ideal customer profile and, and who fits into it. And what we've seen, you know, if I look at the, you know, over 800 companies that were brought on in 2020 with Calm is um, it really resonates almost across every single sector. Yeah. So what employment sector doesn't have employees that experience stress and anxiety. Forget about the pandemic, just in general, everyone does. And what employee segment doesn't actually have a need to increase access to behavioral health, right? It's across the board. So where we've seen this resonate, you know, legal sector, retail, manufacturing, tech, the U.S.-based organizations, global organizations that are multinational, organizations that are more skewed toward millennials, organizations that have uh, more mature populations, rural, urban, which is really interesting. And again, it's not totally surprising when you think about the distribution of our 100 million plus downloads around the world that kind of are in the same similar distribution. What was a nice surprise for us is that populations that necessarily couldn't use technology in their everyday because of the way their job is structured, like manufacturing, you know, craft as a client and, and, and GE are clients where you have a, a, and Leprino foods in the U S where you have individuals that necessarily may not be able to use a smartphone when they're on the floor, where you may not be able to actually raise awareness of this in front of them. And we're seeing tremendous success in those populations because calm is something they can use flexibly in their breaks when they're home, share with their families. And you mentioned before you asked about how we get engagement. And a big factor of that is that they already know what it is. They know either they've used it or they know somebody who's used it. And so um, it resonates even in those populations. To me, you know, who's it a good fit for? I mean, any employer who cares about their employees. Exactly. Very well, very well said. One, one of the things that I think that COVID-19 has, has, uh, highlighted is that, you know, truly we are social animals and we're hurting when we can't interact with our our friends and family and, and colleagues. But I think there is a need, especially for the business leader, the HR leader who wants to recruit and retain employees. If if you really do and you want to reduce turnover, we as employers, as brokers and consultants, we got to figure out how to take better care of one another. I think yep. that's the bottom line. Totally agree. Totally agree. Could, couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. Omar, if there is a, if there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? It's a good question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, I think we've touched on a lot and we have to think about that one. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess an interesting question is like, what's next, right? Yeah. I mean, we have this amazing experience here at Calm. We have, you know, employers and consumers that are you know, um, gravitating to it in, in large numbers and getting great value of it. What's next? We're not a company that sits idle. We didn't get to be in a position, a very humble position to deliver this level of value by um, following others or by not actually spending a lot of time thinking. I think innovation is super critical. Uh, We're continuing to look at ways in which we can innovate, in which we can partner. 
you know, we had a recent partnership in 2020 that is really interesting with Lyra, uh, which is a downstream clinical uh, services company, uh, great offering, and being able to then start to present a complete spectrum of care. I think we have so many ideas along those lines and other areas to innovate. Sky's the limit. Um, and what I would encourage, you know, any entrepreneur that's out there is we need more. We need more innovation in mental and behavioral health. We need more companies out there. We encourage it. It helps us all get better and frankly helps us take care of more people. And I know we're focused on that at Calm and it'd be interesting what's on the horizon that we're going to be developing. Cool. Cool. On behalf of our listeners and, and myself, I want to thank you for your time. I think this has been an awesome, you know, dialogue and discussion and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, informative for our, our listeners. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, thanks for the time listening and hope you have a wonderful day and please download and try Calm. Awesome. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. For those interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com. You can access the show notes for this episode and links to Calm's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you think with a review or drop us a note and let us know if there's someone you think would be a great guest for the show. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.